If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We started last week looking at chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10 kind of is the culminating uh, argument in a sermon. I mentioned a second ago that the book of Hebrews entirely is absolutely a sermon. No one is uh, positive uh, who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, In the King James Bible, it says of Paul, um, it has lots of of evidence that Paul could have written, but but it's not labeled. So the writer of the book of Hebrews um, certainly knew his Old Testament. You can see that the Old Testament is mysterious to, uh, to modern Christians because it has so many parts to it that has nothing to do with us. It's mysterious. And because of that, in many ways, it needs to be explained. And the New Testament is the best explainer uh, or interpreter of the old. And the old is the best interpreter of the new. It's, it's a beautiful thing. God had one story to tell uh, over the years that this uh, Bible was being put together. So let's read then in uh, uh, chapter 10. We're going to read the first 23 verses. I'm only going to speak probably from verses, say, 5 to 10 today uh, because it's just too thick. There's no way that I could get through it in, in a short time. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For when they would have ceased to be offered, because of the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offerings and in sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst thou pleasure within, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. 
and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So as we looked at the beginning of this, of this book, we saw that the law has a shadow of good things to come. The shadow was not the good things themselves. That's what it said in verse 1. The good things to come were the, was the Lord Jesus Christ living out his life unto God in our place and then dying our death in our place. That is the good things to come. The entire Old Testament speaks of the necessity that that would happen and the offices of Christ and who he was that we might know him when he came. The Old Testament is a way of preparing us, preparing God's people that we would know, first of all, who it is that we serve, who is this God that made us, and what does he expect? What is his personality? What does he approve of and disapprove of? The Old Testament showed this. It showed how important that God takes sin, how holy, what holiness actually means, because there's none of us holy. To understand what holiness means is to look at Christ as someone different from us completely. That was that required the Old Testament to do. So we see that it's a shadow of things, but it's the shadow of the cross being cast back into the Old Testament. So in this part where the sacrifices were offered continually every year, making memory of our sins, okay, but never allowing the worshipers to be made perfect. So the first thing that I said last week was that that it didn't bring salvation. The Old Testament law did not actually bring salvation. It did not bring access to God. In order for me to have access with God, I must be as clean as God. And there is the problem. My sins have separated me from God. So I cannot be acceptable before God. God cannot simply, because he's big and I'm small, say, well, you're made out of dirt. I understand. I accept you. You're my child. It really doesn't work that way because I've offended him. And because he is who he is and he cannot be different than who he is, he must punish my sin. Well, to punish my sin and accept me as a child took the death of Christ. And it, ex- it takes the entire Bible to explain that well. And it's, it's not full. We will learn more and more of who our Savior is for all of eternity. We, will not, we don't have the capacity. But everything that we need is supplied in the two, in the two Testaments. The Old Testament, which is the Old Covenant, and the New Testament in Christ's blood, which is the New New Testament. So the first one I said is it did not really provide access to God. The best it did was cover our sin from year to year so that God would not look at it. He simply looked away from our sin because of the sacrifices that he ordained in the law. The second thing is that I said it doesn't actually remove sin. To cover something is not to take it away. To take away sin means that I wouldn't have any more conscience of sin. If the sacrifices of killing an animal were to actually remove my sin, then I would have no more, there would be no more separation between me. I wouldn't feel that. Guilt, the guilt that I feel, God allows me now to know it. But I have to know the gospel as well. So believing Christians 
as you feel the guilt of your sin, as you know that you're guilty, you have to, with that same breath, know that you're forgiven. The gospel says that because Christ died in your place, all of the offense was taken away. You may remember it only so that you know how valuable your Savior is to you. I remember the offense so that I know what my desert should be. I know what I deserve according to God, and I never forget that, but I never remember my sin without a hallelujah, a hallelujah that Jesus lived for me and was accepted in my place and died for me, and that death was accepted in my place. Two things happened, and that's really the one thing that I want to emphasize today. Two things happened when Jesus lived for us. He lived for us. And he died for us. Two very, very different things that are both necessary that the Old Testament points to. So the second thing I wrote was that they could not remove sin. Not only did it not grant you access with God, it couldn't take away sin. Then the last thing I said is that the Old Testament sacrifices were merely external. Now, the, the, this passage quotes an Old Testament passage. When you start getting from verse 4 into verse 5, we go back into Psalm 40, and there's a three-verse quote from Psalm 40. So let's, let's go back from the beginning just to kind of get a running head start and kind of where we were. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things, never with those sacrifices offered each year continually make the comers thereunto perfect, So these pictures never made you acceptable before God. God could not accept you on your own. He could cover your sins, but he did not take them away. It was called an atonement. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, where the blood was poured on the the mercy seat of of the Ark of the Covenant, and God, one year at a time, simply looked away from the guilt and sin of his people, knowing that Jesus was the lamb crucified from before the foundation of the world. God, in his mind, saw Christ crucified forever. And because of that, his forgiveness was based upon what Christ would do in the Old Testament and what Christ has done now. It, Christ is, is happened in time, but the person of Jesus Christ is outside of time. He is the eternal Son of God. So though it, it happened at a time... In the fullness of time, he was born of a woman and born under the law that he might remove the curse of the law from us. That still happened, but it was eternal in God's mind. So the Old Testaments were, sa- were saved as a result of Christ on the cross. All of us in, on this side of the cross were saved for that same reason. So they could not remove sin because these were only, um, these were only um, external things. When you, go to the, when you go to the temple, when you went to the tabernacle before the temple was made, and you brought an animal, and the animal was, you killed the animal yourself with your own knife, you put your hand on its head, you pressed its head down to where it would move its head away, and then you killed it, fully acknowledging that it was your sin that this animal was covering. Well, if you did that, and then did it again, and did it again, it would stop being as dramatic as that seems. For me to kill an animal on purpose as a result of my sin and the sin of my family would be so horrific the first time. After the 50th time, 
I don't know how many people have stripped a deer in the woods. After so many times, it's just, it becomes your dinner. You think of it in a different way. It's not so gruesome. It becomes more like simply butchering, which you don't really like to do, but you do it. It doesn't be, the whole impact doesn't sit with you. You could easily do something externally without an internal change. And that is what God is meaning in these passages that were quoted in Psalm 40. Can you go back to Psalm 40? We're going to look just at the middle of Psalm 40. This is, this is verse 5, 6, 7, and 8 of Psalm 40. And I want you to mention now, uh, Mr. Tommy read this today. There is a passage difference. There is a different word that was used. You have to remember, when the writers of the New Testament were quoting the Old Testament, the, no, one in the, no one among the disciples spoke Hebrew. These, the, the, the Jewish people spoke Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And there was a translation that all that was normal at the time that all the Jews read, and it was written in Greek. It was called the Septuagint. Essentially, it was, it was an English Bible in English. I don't read Hebrew, you don't read Greek, whatever, we read the English Bible, that's fine. And these New Testament passages, all of them, from the Gospels all the way through the Epistles, all of the quotes are from this New Testament, or sorry, the Old Testament that's written in Greek. Well, when you're writing a translation of another language, you have to remember, you can't just say the words that are there because it doesn't mean the same thing. To say words exactly, exactly, word, 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 you take a whole phrase out or a whole idiom out, it doesn't mean the same thing. You have to you have to essentially say what the whole thing means. Well, there's an idiom in this, for, uh, in this uh, uh, verse 6 of, of Psalm 40. So let's look at Psalm 40. Josh, could you put that up? This is verse uh, 5. Yeah, thank you. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done. Now this is David writing this. This is a psalm of David. You have to remember too, when the psalms, especially David's psalms, all of these psalms are, have their ultimate fulfilling in the greater son of David. David's greater son is Jesus Christ. So many things that David is experiencing as he was writing, writing them down, David himself did not have fully experienced the things. Later, it's really, it's Jesus who sings the psalms. Jesus is the righteous man in the, psalm, in the psalms. He's the singer of the psalms. Okay, so you think of this as Christ. Uh, many of the works that you have done and the thoughts which are usward, they cannot be reasoned up or in order unto thee, reckoned up. If I would declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. Verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears thou hast opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then I said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So, so I have preached righteousness in thy great congregation. Lo, I have refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. All right, do you see Jesus speaking here? Can you go back to verse 6, Josh, please? Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. 
This is what Christ said of God. Now you have to you have to pause just a minute because God ordained the law of Moses. God is the one who said, you approach me with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You do not approach me without a sacrifice. You must have a sacrifice. You do not approach me as you please. You must be right. But Jesus is saying, David is saying to God, sacrifice and offering thou didn't desire. Mine ears thou hast opened. All right? Now that's interesting. The Septuagint that's quoted in Hebrews says, a body thou hast prepared for me. Now, looking back from Hebrews, if Jesus is speaking and you're saying, sacrifice God, you didn't require sacrifice. You didn't desire offering and sacrifice. You prepared a body for me. I came to do your will, O God. All right? Back to 40, though, it says, mine ears thou hast opened. All right? That's an idiom. Okay? The idiom, thy ears thou, thy, my ears thou hast opened, actually, it's dug out. My ears thou hast dug out. So with this idea that I'm ready to hear, ready to obey, that I'm not dull anymore, that, that I'm, I'm ready to obey, my full heart is yours. Do you see? The idiom just doesn't transfer if you just go word by word. The Septuagint used a body thou hast prepared for me. I'm perfectly ready to serve you. Right? Now, the writer of the Hebrews looks back and says, this is the incarnation. This is Jesus at the point of the incarnation when he became a man, when God Almighty became a man, he started living for us. That is, that's, his, that's his main thrust here. He didn't just come to die for us. He came and was born in a manger and lived for us. He was nine for us. He was 17 for us. Have you ever been 17? Have you ever been nine? Do you, do you understand? It took Jesus being nine so that we could be nine. It took Jesus being 17 and living sinful, sinlessly in God's sight for us so that we could be 17. Do you see it? A body that has prepared for us. The writer of the Hebrews is looking back and seeing Jesus becoming a man and living on purpose in God's will. And that's what it said. I then said... This is the pre-incarnate Christ. I then said, lo, I come. In the volume or in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Do you see it? All of this according to, to the Old Testament. All of it that, that showed who Jesus was. Do you remember the road to Emmaus? Jesus is walking with these two disciples after the resurrection, and they're crushed because they think the one that they trusted in died, and we saw him die. And Jesus went back to the very beginning of the Bible and every passage showed them that every single part of the Bible referred to him, that it was all about him. He was talking to the Pharisees and the Pharisees, and he said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But these scriptures speak of me and you don't come to me that I would give you life. That's Jesus' argument. The scriptures point to Christ, all of it pointing to Christ, showing who he had to be, who he was, who he was eternally, and what he must do for his people. And what he must do is he had to live for them. He had to live for us. He lived without offending God at all. And he didn't just negatively not offend God. He didn't just have a zero. 
He always pleased God, always. All the time, his heart was right. Do you see it? Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Now, what does that mean? If you must approach God with a sacrifice, but God didn't want a sacrifice, but he insisted on a sacrifice, that becomes confusing. Except that you have to realize that a sacrifice means nothing unless it's given with a right heart. It's the right heart that God requires, and you can't fake that. Do you see it? I can write a check, and that's an external act of worship or service or whatever you might think it is, and I could do it with no heart at all. I do not have to have a perfect heart to do it. I can kill an animal with no perfect heart at all. But God did not require a sacrifice. He required a man with a perfect heart. And this is the Old Testament. This is what it said low in the scroll of the book. It speaks of me. This is God's all the time, his desire. From the Old Testament, he just pulled out Psalm 40. I pulled Isaiah 1. This is chapter 1 of Isaiah. This is Isaiah's first argument to the people. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? saith the Lord. I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or he goats. This is Isaiah speaking. I don't like your stuff. I don't want your sacrifices. The sacrifices that's ordained by the law, that's what it said in verse 8. This, the law required that these be made, but God did not desire them. Instead, he desired a man with a perfect heart in front of him who then with a perfect heart wanted to give. That's what God wants, a spirit and truth. And we'll see that in a second. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 12. If you had known what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus took the Old Testament quote to the Pharisees and saying, you're missing the major thing. You count every tenth leaf on a plant and pull it off and give it to the temple as a tithe. Every tenth, everything that you get. But yet your heart has not changed. You're externally doing everything right and you're not acceptable. Do you see, if I were to do everything right, everything, if I were to always do everything right, I would still have to go to hell. Do you see that? I have to go to hell. Do you understand? Because I cannot fake that I don't love God with all my heart. That's not something that I can do. I can show you that I do something. You can see me do something. But I cannot in myself even make myself love God with all my heart. I know I should, which can bring me a guilt trip, I suppose. But I can't do it. It's something that makes me know that there's something wrong with me. Do you see? I'm fallen I'm broken. I can't do it. If I could have done it, then Jesus would not have died. Do you see it? If, I, if God would have just commanded me, and I could just say, I'm going to love him with all my heart, my heart will be perfect before him, and I did it, then Jesus would have died in vain. There would have been no need for the Son of God to die for us. If I could have somehow been the one in a million, the one in a billion, everybody else fall and one superhero finally do it, Jesus would not have had to die for mankind. But Jesus did die 
So what's happening when he gives you the sacrifice and he says, do the sacrifice with a perfect heart and then I do the sacrifice and I show that my heart is not right. All I'm doing is proving that there's something that I need. I need a savior. The Old Testament, Paul said, was a schoolmaster with a switch or with a paddle, Fanny Burns, with the holes in it that will prove to you that you are not what you have to be. It drove us to Christ. The Old Testament drives us to Christ. It proves to us that we're broken, that there's something wrong, that I need a rescuer. And then Jesus comes as the rescuer. And that's back to 7, back in in Psalm. It says, I have come to do your will, O God. O God, I have come to do your will. Do you see? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to live for us. That's what he did. He came to live for us. Every moment of his life, he not only did not sin against God, he loved God fully with a perfect heart. Um, We're going through 1 Samuel in our Sunday school class. This is from next week's. I just had to put it. This is 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of the lambs. Do you see? Saul thought, I can just do an offering. I can throw God a pork chop, just like throwing a dog a bone. Okay, it'll get him off my back. God doesn't want your pork chops. He doesn't need them. He doesn't want them. He doesn't desire them. He wants your heart to be right. And with a right heart, loving him, doing only his will, that's what Jesus Christ came to do. This is from Second Chronicles 16. This is Solomon speaking. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Do you see it? That's God. God is looking to every heart, looking to every man, looking to every man, looking to every man, every breathing human of every age and every country and every time, looking for a perfect heart. And he finds none. He finds none. When we read in chapter 3 of Romans, there was not one found among the sons of man that cared for God. Only Jesus Christ. When he looks upon Jesus Christ, he looked upon Jesus Christ's heart, and Jesus Christ's heart only wanted to do God's will at all times. He then can be our Savior. Do you see it? Because Jesus is acceptable, and he can be acceptable for us. He doesn't just die as another pork chop to throw God. He lives for us. This is called the active obedience of Christ. He has the active obedience of Christ that he lives for us, and he has the passive obedience of Christ that he died for us. Okay. So the first thing that it says now at, from 8, 9, and 10, it's going back to Hebrews, is explaining the passage that he just quoted in Psalm 40. Okay, so this is verse 8. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you wouldst not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law, even though the law requires them. When the psalm said that you do not, you don't desire it, it's not what you wanted. Then he said, you see, now this is, this is the writer of Hebrews. He said, he just quoted, you don't deserve, require 
don't desire sacrifice and offering, the very next thing he said was, then he said, I, w- I come to do thy will, O God. Jesus came to do God's will, right? So that's the, right, the first thing I wrote down. So if the first passage that we saw last week was the ineffectiveness of the law, then from this on through 10 is the effectiveness of Christ, the effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice towards us, that it has an effect towards God and it has an effect towards us. And the first thing I wrote down, it, it is God's will. It's what God wants. He wants a perfect heart. That's what he wants. That he wanted a perfect heart with Adam, he didn't get it. He wanted a perfect heart with his people, and he didn't get it. He did not get it. He didn't get it among the heathen nations, of course. He didn't get it among his people that he fights for and that he works in and he gave his, his word to. He didn't even get it when he, he made a man and a woman perfect in paradise. He didn't get that perfect heart. They would rather have be their own God. They would rather hold the devil's words up higher than God's words. That's what men do. And it required a savior. Jesus means savior, that we require a savior for that reason. This is John 4.34. I picked three verses in John. I could have gone 15 more. Okay, I just picked three verses in John 4. I picked one in 4, one in 5, one in 6. This is Jesus speaking, and you're going to see that Jesus has the same thing to say over and over and over. Okay, This is John 4.34. Jesus saith to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Okay? Did you get some meat, that, some lunch that we didn't know about? No. My lunch is doing God's will. This is from John 5. I can do of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who has sent me. This is John six thirty eight. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him to send me. Do you see? Again and again and again and again and again. He lived his life for his father's glory. The things he did and did not do were for his father's glory. That what he did during the day, what he, when he slept or did not sleep, when he ate or did not eat, when he died or lived, it was to God's glory. That is required by God. If you're going to be accepted by God, If you want to go to heaven, that is your minimum requirement. And because there's not one among mankind that meets that requirement, we must have a Savior. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to live for us. Okay? So look at verse 9 again. We'll continue. Then he said, I will come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. Now this is the, the, the preacher. This is the preacher in Hebrews who is preaching right at this moment, Psalm 40. He's really preaching Psalm 110 totally, but he's, he's looking at Psalm 40 right now, and he's saying he takes away the first that he may establish the second. What did he take away? He took away the sacrifices. The sacrificial system ended with Christ. That was it. Because he was the reality. Remember, everything was, was a shadow coming He was the reality that the shadow did not need to be there. You didn't need the advertisement for the show that hasn't happened yet. When Jesus came, you did not need it anymore. So it replaced the Old Testament. He did away with the first 
that he may establish the second. The establishment of the second is that he lives for us. You have peace with God. Christian, you have peace with God. You have to, has that ever sunk into you? Has that ever occurred to you? I have peace with God because Jesus' life pleased him. Period. Period. End. It is finished. What was finished? What was finished? He was speaking. He hadn't died. What was finished? When he said it was finished, it was finished. What was finished? His life. His life met God's requirement. He lived for us. You are accepted in the beloved. You have nothing to fear, nothing at all to fear. If you are, if you are holding with the weakest faith the cross of Christ, and that be your only thing that you have to, 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 to say for yourself is that Jesus died for me, then you are free, 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 forever free. You will be forever with God in paradise. There is no condemnation because Jesus lived for you. Verse 10, and I'll end with this. It says, by the which will. Do you see? It was God's will. Jesus lived towards God's will. And it was this will, the will of God, which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The will of God was that Christ would be honored by the rescue of someone that should be sent to hell. Christ will be honored by that. The offering of Christ once. And remember, this is in contrast with last week. That had to be offered over and over. Never ending. Always more blood. Always more remembering that you were never quite healed. You were only sick. Every cancer treatment. Every treatment is not towards your healing. It's reminding you that you're still sick. And so when he offered it once for all, it's once, forever, for always. Okay? That was one serious, serious thing that the Protestants protested against. Why would, why would they be willing to, to spill their blood in the gallons during the 16th century? Because they saw Jesus dying over and over and over with every Mass. Every time you would go to Mass, Jesus would die again for you. And they were like, no, I'll stand and say, no, Jesus died once for all. And it's done. It's finished. He now is standing at the right hand of God. He does not repeatedly die again and again. You do not crucify Jesus again. Because of that, we are sanctified, and it's God's will to do it. Sanctified means we're being made holy. That he forgave us, it's done. You're forgiven. Whether you think you're forgiven or not, if you trust in Christ, you're forgiven. Now start living like you're forgiven. I promise you, you'll live differently. I promise. If you know you're forgiven, and you're not trying to scrape yourself up the, the eternal ladder, you know you're forgiven, I promise you will throw away your idols. You'll look at your idols that you've petted your whole life and you will throw them away because you are forgiven. You, God promises you heaven. That's it. That's all I want. I want, to be, I want access to God. I want to be acceptable before God. He died once for all, and it's God's will that we would be sanctified, 
sanctified through that offering. Is that, does that raise your blood pressure? <laughs> I absolutely love this. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Almighty God, oh God, we delight to do your will. And we say that in all truth, knowing that, that, that it's ridiculous that we would say something so, so untrue is that we delight to do your will. But in Christ, we delight to do your will. Thank you that our Savior is with us, that he is, we are joined with him. We are united with Christ. We are amalgamated with Christ. You can't tell the difference. When you look at us, we are acceptable, as clean as you yourself because of what Christ did. His offering for us took away our sin. Hallelujah. And we thank you. Will you let our lives reflect that this week? Will you give us power in the Holy Spirit to live for you acceptably? And we love you in Jesus' name.